This is episode 367 of the AWS podcast, released on May 3rd, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lisha here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined by an extra very special guest and I'm going to introduce her now. I'm joined by Dr. Dennis Bauer. And uh, let me quickly give you the overview of uh, all of uh, Dennis's achievements before uh, I actually let her speak. Um, But Dr. Dennis Bauer is an internationally recognized expert in machine learning, specifically in processing big genomic data to help unlock the secrets in human DNA which are secrets that could change the course of human history. Her achievements include developing an open-source artificial intelligence-based search engine that helps researchers pinpoint the exact genes they need to study or edit to cure disease. And there's more available about that at bioinformatics.csiro.au. Now, as CSIRO's transformational bioinformatics leader, Dennis is involved in Australian and international activities and initiatives to integrate genomics into medical practice. She's frequently invited as a keynote speaker at research conferences such as the International Conference on Bioinformatics in Jakarta in 2019, as well as heavyweight IT conferences, including our own Amazon Web Services Summit 17, 18 and 19, Alibaba Infinity Singapore 18 and Open Data Science Conference India 18. Her revolutionary achievements have been featured in the international press like the Australian Financial Review, Genome, Web, ZDNet, Computer World, CO Magazine, the AWS Jeff Barr blog, and was in Computer Weekly's top 10 IT stories of 2017. Dennis holds a BSc from Germany and a PhD in bioinformatics from the University of Queensland and has completed postdoctoral research in both biological machine learning and high-throughput genetics. She has 39 peer-reviewed publications, 17 of which are first or senior author and a H-index of 16. And Dennis advocates for gender equality in IT and is active on CSIRO's Inclusion and Diversity Committee. Welcome to the podcast, Dennis. Thank you very much. It's fantastic to be here. It's great to have you here. And I'm somewhat, I'm both intimidated by those qualifications, but also somewhat disappointed that of all those achievements, you didn't include the fact that you and I were on an episode of This Is My Architecture. So uh, I clearly haven't met the bar. Yeah, it certainly sounded like I'm very busy. <laughs> I think you are. But definitely. The, this is my architecture. It was one of the highlights. That was a fun one. That was a fun one. Now, now Dennis, there's a lot for us to speak about today, but maybe for our global audience, let's just remind people CSIRO. You know, in Australia, we're very familiar with with CSIRO, as we like to call it, but uh, it's, it's also well known on the global stage. But just to deconstruct it before we assume everyone knows, tell us about CSIRO. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So CSIRO is Australia's government research agency. And and CSIRO are really passionate about translating research into products that people can use in their everyday lives. So one of the most famous products that we developed was, of course, Wi-Fi. But then on a lighter note, we already uh, we also developed a recipe book around the total well-being diet, which is now on the book bestseller list alongside Harry Potter and the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> I think the organization really have a good history of developing products that people need and products that people enjoy. And, and it really is that that engine room of innovation. And talk to us a little bit about some of the work that, that you do. I mean, you work in, in bioinformatics. You've done a lot of work that really blends together the two immensely complex areas. One is genomic research and one is cloud-based computing. <laughs> Not often considered together in the same sentence, but you've kind of made a practice <laughs> of using both. So maybe give us a high-level view and then we'll talk about some of the specifics you've done recently. Yeah, absolutely. So genomics is a really interesting field in that the data that you have to analyze is very complex and huge. 
So therefore, eyeballing the data just doesn't work. And we have progressed to, um, to using machine learning methods in that space. And specifically with machine learning, which requires this iterative processing of it, doing that on large, on ginormous data sets is quite difficult. So therefore, we went very early on into the cloud because we needed this elasticity of scaling up to large data sets, whereas we want to, of course, um, develop the other the algorithms on much smaller data sets. So therefore, the cloud gave us the flexibility that we needed. And the other thing I think that is commendable about the work you and your group have been doing is that not only do you create these solutions, but you make them available to other researchers. You know, you're very passionate about releasing cloud formation and other good things that mean that people can kind of replicate the work because that's a big part of science. Exactly. It's crucial to science. This reproducibility of, you know, one research group finding something important, you know, something about the natural world. It's only accepted as the truth, or likely the truth, if someone else was able to replicate it too, if someone else was able to see it too. And therefore, if you develop really complex analysis pipelines, getting other people to show that what you found is correct has already has, you know, has always been very difficult. But with the cloud technologies and sharing our setup online, that makes it much easier. So we can just put together a bundle of, this is how we analyze the data, put it on the web, other people can use it and analyze it on their or process it on their data. And if they see the same thing, then you know we know that we're on the right track and that is fundamental to science. And therefore the marketplace is one of the big leaps forward, I think, in that space. Exactly, and that leads us on to our, our topic today, which is that uh, SIRA's Australian eHealth Research Centre, AEHRC, has led the way by becoming the first public sector organisation in the world to publish a machine learning-based health product on the AWS marketplace. So, Dennis, let's talk about what, what this product is. Before we even get to the marketplace stuff, let's talk about what uh, what you've built. Yes. So we build a variant spark. That is that is the product that um, that we put on the marketplace. And variant spark is a machine learning library for ultra high dimensional data. So the framework needed to be developed because technologies that are currently out there, for example, um, ML Lib, it's typically designed to handle a thousand or up to ten thousand sample or data points per sample. Whereas in the research domain that I'm in, genomics we have two owners of magnitude more data. Mm. And that is because you know, our DNA holds 3 billion letters and there are on average 2 billion le- um, letters difference between you and me. And any one of them could be a disease gene. So in order to really find out what is driving disease, we need to analyze you know, 2 million differences for thousands of individuals. So for the resulting matrix that we're computing on, it's at least 10 billion entries. Mm. And for that, there was just no technology available. We had to develop our own, which is called VarianceBark. In saying that, though, VarianceBark is not specific to the life science space. So VarianceBark could be applied to any domain where you have a lot of data points per sample. So, for example, you could have a processing plant that has millions of sensors. And the task you might want to um, achieve is finding out which one of those sensors is an early warning system for failure or for production quality loss. 
So clearly there is a, a similar, a very similar question to finding what is the disease strain. And therefore we feel putting variant spark on the marketplace is not only helping the research domain, but potentially other industry areas as well. And so this is this is a classic use case where you're kind of trying to find the needle in the haystack and the haystack is very, very large. And so you're throwing mm-hmm. hundreds of CPUs at, at this workload, lots of memory, lots of processing, but you're trying to make it very easy to get access to. Now, now this solution has a, a, a interactive user interface as well, so you can actually um, manage it without too much sophistication? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, we're still talking about data scientists using it. Yeah. So therefore we put in a Jupyter notebook style interface to it. So therefore you can type in the, you know, the pre-processing queries you want to do in R or Python. And then there's an, there's a code block to run variant spark on the uh, um, elastic map producer spark cluster in, in AWS. And then from there you get the results back and you can then compute over it with plots and other summary statistics. So it's basically a notebook that you develop online in your account. And that's the thing is you have, you have complete control. And I guess that leads us onto the topic of the, the AWS marketplace. Is The AWS marketplace is a place where any AWS user can go and log on and have a look at solutions, software, et cetera, that's available in the marketplace, but very easily deployable. It's typically a one or two click depo- deploy process. What made you yeah, decide to, to make Variant Spark available in this platform? So I think your tagline is deployment at the speed of cloud. <laughs> I think this really summarizes it. We, so we have this technology and as a research group, we don't have resources to make things available. So we don't have large production teams that bundle up software and put it somewhere nice for people to download it and handle the whole support process. So therefore, given that we did not have that capacity, Usually what happens in the academic space is that you develop these beautiful technologies because you know that's our day job, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thinking up um, really sophisticated solutions. But then we write that up as an academic journal paper and it's you know it's locked in there forever, not to view, not to see the ever the light of day <laughs> after that. And we felt that's not good enough, especially you know in the medical field where we really can make a difference. So therefore partnering with AWS or developing something for the marketplace is this really nice end-to-end process where you develop your code and then you walk through with AWS experts in security and and robustness that really assess your product um, up to an international standard and help you get there. So therefore, with the product that you then put on the marketplace, so the value proposition to the client is that it's accredited, it's endorsed by AWS and the whole you know, robustness, security tech, and so on is is a safe bet. So when you subscribe to it, you know exactly what you're subscribing to. And that's something that, you know, without the marketplace, we just would not have offered. And therefore, it would have been a journal publication and that would have been that. So it's really uh, helping helping bring it to life. And I think one of the other interesting aspects is, of course, uh, if anything slows down a process of creativity, it's license negotiation and all that fun stuff. Uh, this this kind of takes that off the table for uh, for researchers who just want to use it. Yeah, so I feel for the first time it sort of pierces the the boundary between research and industry, and really helps us, you know, as researchers contribute towards to the real world, the real world problems. 
And, and that, that, that real world bridge is important because it's not just one way, it's two ways. So as people start to use your, your marketplace offering, they can provide feedback to you and say, hey, I used it, it was great or you know, got similar results or they can come back and say, actually, um, you know, can you make it better? I want to use it for a different use case. Uh, like you said, it's not just for genomics. Yeah, exactly. So this will be you know, my, my call to action here that if people can think of an application case and have a go at um, the variant spark tool that is out there with the, um, with the notebook style analysis, it would be great for them to give us feedback and saying that this particular feature is just not working or it needs to be better, it needs to be faster because there's always, you know, there was room for improvement and we're looking for that area. As you said, not only in the research space, but in the research space, it's probably, you know, where the biggest improvement can be made because there the questions are so precise. And what are some of the, the, those questions you're trying to answer using variant spark? You, you talked about some of the sort of finding diseases, et cetera. Help us understand the, the types of questions your team is tackling day to day. Yeah. So with variant spark, really the question is you have this enormous data. A matrix basically, or when you when you think of an Excel table, you have the uh, uh, rows represent the samples and the columns represent the information points per sample. So in our case, there will be you know, genotypes, it will be um, genomic letters, but in other cases, it might be the age um, of a person, it might be where they live, it might be some log file information. It could be anything that really defines that sample, and then. At the end, you might have an annotation to say this particular sample, in our case, has a disease or does not have a disease, or it could be a sensor, it could be a processing plant and its failure rate for that particular day and so on. So as long as you have samples and labels for those samples and massive amount of features, that's basically the variance bug plays in because variance box helps us to pinpoint which of those features in our case, genomic locations, are responsible for a certain um, outcome. So in our case, it will be, say, gene A and gene B together cause ALS, mm. which is a motor neuron disease that Stephen Hawkins has suffered from. And that's that's sort of the question that we're trying, that Variance Backwood was originally developed for. Yeah, very, very big questions to answer. And there's something else uh, I think, uh, Dennis, you and your team have done really interestingly over the last few years is you really bring a different mental model to how you are solving these questions of science using technology. You're very famous for saying at one of our conferences, once you go serverless, you don't go back, which I think was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but really, like I, I think your team have really been on on some of the cutting edge of how to make the right use of cloud-based technologies to solve large-scale scientific problems and to kind of be c- courageous and not not – uh, cautious around you know, using things like DynamoDB or Lambda or CloudFormation, the, these sort of newer technologies that maybe didn't have a place in research in the past few years to, to use it more aggressively to get faster outcomes. Because really, I mean, I know, I know as, as, as good as you are talking about the technology, really that's not the passion zone. Uh, the passion zone is solving mm-hmm. health issues. But by using these technologies, it's helping your group get to those answers quicker. So, I mean, I, I would like to say that we were visionary in looking at this technology and using it, but I think it was more reactionary. And we had this problem and there was just no other way of solving it. So, for example, with GT Scan, which is, you know, the search engine for the genome that you referred to earlier, where they, 
is my architecture podcast was about. So here we needed to develop something that is cost-effective, is far, and is scalable, and online, right? And those <laughs> four requirements, no other technology was able to give us that but Lambda. Therefore, yeah, we looked at this, and and, and Lambda was, but way back then, Lambda was still considered as sort of the Alexa skill. Yeah, it was early to, days, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really early we all locked into that realm. But yeah, we see it more as a you know distributed computing uh, platform. I guess but that's how we that's how we're treating it, and therefore all the other ideas around high performance compute where we've traditionally came from sort of fit neatly into that new realm of you know online distributed things where of course the the sky is the limit in terms of scalability. But yeah, I think I think from that perspective, we're sort of riding the wave with the technology development that you and others have put forward and we're enjoying it. Yeah, it's a very, very, very good use of it. Where can people learn more about what your group is doing? Yeah, the, well, the journal articles, I'd say, <laughs> as, a re- as a true researcher. That's where they belong. The <laughs> That's where we start. <laughs> but, yeah, no, we do have the webpage that you that you quoted at the beginning. So um, bioinformatics.siro.au is the place to go for that one. That's right. Thank you. And of course, the csro.au webpage in general, which is the research organization page. And it always spins people out when I use the siro.au address because they're like, isn't there a, like an org or a com missing there? But it's like, no, siro is <laughs> that important. You know, when you invent Wi-Fi, <laughs> there are certain privileges that come with that. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Well, Dennis, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been really interesting to hear the work uh, that your group is doing and the the fact that it's available to, to everyone now, which is very exciting. Thank you for your time and thanks for listening. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do it. And until next time, keep on building.